you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Morning. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. This is Jason Dick. I'm the managing editor at Roll Call for their leadership and enterprise team. I'm subbing for the Bill Press himself, uh, who is in the the Greenland Book Festival, I believe, right now, <laughs> talking about his uh, his new book uh, from the left. Uh, he uh, he took Jerry Brown with him. He was in Sacramento recently, and uh, he he and Jerry Brown decided to just kayak around Greenland uh, in for the book festival there. Did you see that photo that he tweeted out yesterday of I, him and Jerry Brown? I did. Both of them looking looking good, and then uh, obviously, as you mentioned, about to embark on their kayak trip <laughs> to Greenland. To Greenland <laughs> from California. That may or may not be true. <laughs> Uh, we have I, a, I, don't, I can't keep up with it. What do I know? <laughs> we have a uh, great show for you today. Uh, later on in this hour, I'll be joined by my colleague at Roll Call, Niels Lesniewski, our senior Senate reporter. We're going to talk about some of the stuff going on in Washington and outside Washington. Uh, later on, we'll talk to Brandon Weatherby, who's a managing editor at Brightest Young Things here in Washington. And we're going to talk about some of the cultural issues that we see, seem to keep creeping back up, like uh, the national anthem uh, and the NFL. And Brandon has a lot of... Uh, interesting insights into that. And finally, we'll round up the, today's show with Simone Pathé, our senior politics reporter at Roll Call, who's going to break down all of the primary results for this week. we got a lot of interesting races, and we got a lot to talk about. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of stories making news. Last night was the night. Game 7 for the Washington Capitals against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Winner take all. Winner goes to the Stanley Cup final. Could the Capitals get that monkey off their back. Well, this is it. With 7.3 seconds to go. The pain and anguish that so many of us have felt over the last 20 <laughs> years and throughout the Ovechkin era. The puck drops. Beagle winning the draw. Back out to center. And that is going to do it. Good morning. Good afternoon. And good 
Good night, Tampa Bay. The Washington <laughs> Capitals are the 2017-2018 Eastern Conference champions. There you go. They won last night a critical game seven, which means they are going to the Stanley Cup finals. And it wasn't particularly close either. It, it was, was four, four to nothing. nothing. Four to nothing. And and also it, the weird thing is Tampa Bay, you know, actually looked like the better team. They looked good. They yeah. they could pass. Well, you know, uh, and it, and weird. I mean, it was just not not close. No, it wasn't close at all. And it was really. I, I mean, I don't really keep up with hockey very much, uh, but the Capitals jumped out to a two to nothing lead in the series, and then it looked. I mean, the the Lightning seemed to have some momentum here, and they just couldn't couldn't finish it out. But so now it's the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the first expansion team to ever make it to the NHL. They've, they've waited so long for this moment, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> so I. D- Capitals appear to have a shot here, Jason. I don't know. I, I guess people get excited about this in this town. It's kind of exciting. You know, we're in a little bit of a, you know, championship dearth, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, Nationals lost to the Padres yesterday and not a very good team. <laughs> <laughs> and the Caps advanced to the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, it's we just so much good news to celebrate here in the sports <laughs> world in Washington, D.C. But nobody got injured at the Nationals game. True. That's, that's, that's the real, true. Like, that's the real story. That's true. Okay, so uh, one, of the sto- like, the, the, one of these stories I will always read something about <laughs> is the Loch Ness Monster. Yes. I'll always read about the Loch Ness Monster. Yes. So yesterday, it turns out, a global team of scientists say that they are going to scour Loch Ness using environmental DNA. Which is a new technology, by the way. Sounds see. new. It, it's, <laughs> it sounds new. Yeah. Scott they, Pruitt, sign off on this? Totally. Totally. <laughs> Environmental DNA. And they say that using this could actually determine if there is something like a Loch Ness Monster living there. The way that it works is it monitors marine life and sort of sees how creatures move through the environment because they leave behind tiny fragments of DNA from their skin scales feather faces poop leavings yeah exactly things like that leavings is that what it's called now leavings well i I was trying to be i was trying to be delicate you know early in the morning so uh anyway we'll see if nessie's out there this is the bill press show so, um, in addition to Game 7, Capitals, and Loch Ness, yes. uh, I guess we should talk about the president, too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, is, that, is there also news on that front? Uh, apparently, you know, uh, the, the, a couple of things happened yesterday. Uh, we can get into a little bit more detail with uh, with Niels when he comes in in a little bit, but I think the you know the the top line, the above the fold, if you will, is the latest in this kind of ongoing, you know, I hesitate to call it war because it just seems like everything's a war. Uh, but this ongoing conflict with the FBI, with the Justice Department over the investigation, over the special counsel's investigation, the Trump administration, the president himself have been complaining that uh, that, that there was a spy. Uh, they, they call it a spy. I mean, they're the only ones characterizing it as this uh, in the in the campaign. Uh, most people who are even remotely familiar with law enforcement and how it works will say that it was a source uh, and it was uh, it basically amounted to kind of this guy, Stephen Halper, having tea. He's a retired professor in England who worked for the Nixon administration uh, and the Ford administration and the Reagan administration. And he 
you know, is now a professor emeritus at Cambridge. Anyway, he was asked uh, by by his FBI friends to uh, check in on a couple of ca- characters who had aroused some suspicion with law enforcement in the Trump campaign, had them for dinner or tea or whatever they you know, talk about, but it wasn't. Uh, it didn't appear to be any uh, waterboarding uh, that, that that took place, uh, and this has become the big kerfuffle uh, right now. We 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 had a, another flare up because the administration said that they were going to release some in, some documentation about the source, uh, that they were only going to do a briefing with Republicans, uh, with Devin Nunes, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, and with Trey Gowdy, who's the chairman of the House Government Oversight and Government Reform Committee. Uh, this led to a few raised eyebrows, I guess, if you will, in the in the best Cambridge, England uh, sense. Uh, feathers were ruffled. <laughs> feathers were ruffled. Uh, there, there were no sabers le- were rattled. <laughs> there were no leavings, though. <laughs> Tea leaves uh, <laughs> were red. <laughs> uh, and and finally, uh, last night, uh, you know, somewhat late, we we got the word that there would be a couple of meetings. Uh, that there would be one just for uh, just sort of a sneak preview, I guess, for Nunes and and Gowdy and John Kelly, the White House chief of staff, would be there. And then the so-called Gang of Eight, and these are the top congressional leaders plus the Democrats and Republicans that lead the intelligence committees in the House and Senate, would all get to look at the evidence on uh, what I, I think uh, David Ignatius, the Washington Post, called it a, a somewhat uh, kind of a peddler, you know, like somebody from like a Le Carre novel. I mean, the... the <laughs> This just this guy, you know, who probably probably wears a lot of tweed. <laughs> yes, a fedora is involved in this <laughs> for sure. So, but but I know, uh, you know, we, we've got we've got a little audio, you know, just the like some of the you know the way that we're trying to kind of process this in in, in the media and in, in in politics. Uh, the, I think you got something from from ABC. Yeah, Donald Carl it, breaking it, it down. This a bit. this actually, I think, if you don't totally understand what's going on, which which honestly, <clears throat> it took me a second. To really understand what this was all about, right? right? Because you hear Donald Trump saying, my campaign was spied on, which obviously sounds like BS, right? Like, it, if they were being spied on, what was the point? He won the presidency. It's right. not, you know, so like, whatever. But if you're having a hard time understanding what exactly is going on, Jonathan Carl from ABC News sort of lays it out. The president's offering absolutely no details or evidence, simply making a very explosive allegation that the FBI and DOJ implanted spies, and he has used the plural, spies, in his campaign. This all, though, does come out of that original New York Times story about the FBI's use of an informant in the Russia investigation, an informant who reached out and questioned two Uh, Trump campaign advisors during the campaign about the contacts that they had had with Russians. So, I mean, the one of the things that I, you know, had sort of thought about is like, okay, the FBI, which which had already like during the campaign had had said, like, we are opening an investigation into Hillary Clinton and her use of emails and so forth. And then, you know, like in, in James Comey inserted himself into it, the, the process late in the game, you know, like, you know, just, you know, barely a week before the election. And, you know, and nothing they had nothing. You know, they, they were they were they were saying they weren't going to charge her. This was kept so under wraps apparently because they were concerned i mean that that like i mean they they needed to keep some sort of tabs on what was going on and i mean it's unclear of exactly what the trigger was but when you have people like george papadopoulos or man or paul manafort i mean engaging in talks in meetings with people who are on 
you know, like lists, you know, of like, hey, keep an eye on this guy. <laughs> uh, he, he, there's some, some some sort of irregularities in travel and he has access to a potential presidential candidate. Um, I mean, it, does that qualify as spying? I guess, you know, this is word choice. And one thing that the president is an expert in, uh, as we have seen, yeah. is, is word choice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the word spy sticks in our head to the point where people are actually referring to spygate, even though it's not a I mean, that's not the the word that I think a law enforcement official would use. I mean, like we're even guilty of this on this show. Like we we were calling it Spygate. It's it's not a spy, right? There were no spies, right? There were no spies, right? So there were no spies. <laughs> I just need to say it again. So, but like it, it also, I think to your point about the word choice thing, this is so <clears throat> sort of. Um, emblematic of how Donald Trump does things, right? Not not just as president, but how he's done things his entire life. He creates his own narrative. And he's a very, very he's very skilled at that. And here we are talking about spies in the Trump campaign, which is just not true. It's just not true. But he's he's done such a good job of convincing us of that that like that's now the story. The story isn't that he was under investigation at the same time that Hillary Clinton was. Because that's a terrible narrative for him. <laughs> which, yeah. by the way, you know, Bill was saying that that's sort of the bigger story, which I, I, I agree, and that, you know, James Comey should have courageously come out and said something about it right. during the campaign is, in, instead of what he did to Hillary Clinton. E- equal time doctrine. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, I don't think it would have mattered. I think Donald Trump still would have been elected president. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it is true. I mean, the, the when, when you look at the number of things that the, the number of, of counter narratives that people tried to use ab- about Trump, whether it was, um, you know, women who had come forth and there was the Access Hollywood tape and so forth, it didn't seem to matter, you know, to his supporters. And I mean, and that that what is what I think is is interesting is like, what are the are people just locked in at this point? I, I think that they they were during the election. I talked about that. We, we were talking. Ray and I were talking about this yesterday on the show. You know, I, I used to think after the election that Donald Trump was eight-year, two-term president, done deal. He's going to win. He's going to win re-election. Or as Brandon would call it, two years or twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I, I thought it was just sort of a done deal. And I don't feel that way anymore. Uh, I mean, I could obviously be, be wrong. I have a, a very a storied history of being very wrong. <laughs> many, Proud history of, of many of occasions. Being wrong. <laughs> it's on my family crest. <laughs> um, but like, look, I just think that there were some people who accepted it during the election right. because they, they, you know, they thought that it was, you know, either dirty, uh, a, like a dirty election or a nasty election. There was lots of rhetoric on both sides. Blah blah blah. And now the guy's the president, and it's still he's still running the same election. He's still running the same campaign, and people are just kind of like, "Okay, let's move on. Go, go govern now. You actually won. You don't have to keep fighting the same battles." And I think a lot of people are just sort of tired of it. Some people are tired of it, but I mean, again, when you when you go when you cover some of these the rallies, I mean, there are still lock her up chants in in the um, in in the crowd. I mean, the the election is still being played out. You know, in in some of these like campaign rallies and in some of the moments here that we're seeing, because it's just, uh, you know, I mean, that that's what people want to keep kind of returning to. Um, 
we're also I, I want to switch just a little bit to another event. Uh, I mean, like it, it, it still still concerns the president. He went up to uh, the the, uh, the the ancestral lands uh, uh, yesterday of New York. Uh, he went to Bethpage, uh, Long Island. Uh, he took with him Rod Rosenstein, uh, who he has been, um, you know, uh, somewhat uh, open about uh, questioning uh, in, in terms of his, how he has supervised Robert Mueller in the investigation of, of the Trump campaign. He took with they, him, they have a few things to talk about. Just a couple of things, you know, <laughs> and, and like, I mean, could you get more um, more of a contrast to the president than Rod Rosenstein? I mean, he's this like. You know, he just he I mean, if if he was just walking down the street, we would say, like, looks like a fed. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Does anybody else smell brill cream? Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, he he wouldn't even need to change his clothes if he was cast as an extra in the in like some gray Watergate era DOJ film. Yeah. You know? I mean, yes. like, I mean, he, he could, he's he's in he's in place perfectly in 2018 <laughs> or in 1972. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, it's just I mean, he and, you know, he's this kind of. You know, the president sort of yells about something. And he's like, "Of course, we're going to look at that." So, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. So he he went up. Uh, the 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 event was about immigration and MS thirteen, and he returned to some of the uh, you know kind of this this flare, latest flare up about referring. Did he refer to MS thirteen or did he refer to immigrants in general as as animals? And uh, and so I think and I think you got a clip on that too. You know, people, these are animals. And we have to be very, very tough. The the I mean, so context for it last week, roundtable with uh, sheriffs and and community you know leaders and elected leaders in California talking about immigration. Well, the sheriff of Fresno County, her name escapes me right now, uh, was referring to just some of the frustrations that she had. Uh, in that, if she detains somebody like a, you know a gang member, it's it's difficult to you know, meet a threshold so that she can share this with immigration officials. And, and, and she was just, you know, kind of complaining about, about that. And then the, the president, you know, got, went on this riff about, you know, these are animals, they're, you know, the, and, and again, you know, the, the, this is not meant to be like some sort of thing. Like, I, you know, the, the, some of the president's defenders have cla- cla- uh, tried to classify this as people defending MS-13's humanity. Um, it, it, it's, you know, the, the president uses language very carefully again, you know, I mean, he, he, yeah. or, or clumsily, I mean, either one, I mean, it, it's almost the side, two sides of the same coin <laughs> right. at a certain point, right. but it wasn't clear exactly who he was referring to, but it's become MS 13 now. Um, and he, he kind of doubled down on that at, at an event saying we need to close loopholes. We need to, you know, we, we need the Democrats to, to close loopholes. Now this overlooks some, uh, inconvenient facts, which is that, Republicans control Congress. They control the agenda. They oh. can they can bring up whatever legislation they want at any time. Oh, is that right? <laughs> that, that 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 apparently still holds uh, in 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 Washington. Um, you know, last week we had like this huge blow up on the House floor. The House, you know, the House of Representatives was about to pass this massive farm bill reauthorizing agriculture programs and farm programs. It contains some of the biggest, most sweeping changes to. Uh, receiving food stamps, work requirements. This is something that Paul Ryan and a lot of conservatives have wanted to do for a long time. And the Freedom Caucus, you know, like the the most conservative parts of the Republican caucus, held it up because they were afraid that they're getting too close to voting on a uh, a more moderate version of immigration legislation. This is just the most the latest hiccup on immigration. So it's. I mean, certainly the Democrats are going to play this out. And, and like the first rule of politics is when your enemies are shooting each other, get out of the way. 
you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but the you know again, unless you're the Democratic Party and then right. you start wildly shooting as well. Right. But yes. <laughs> point taken. At, at yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I didn't get in on this action. <laughs> um, but you know the the again the Republicans control the the agenda in both chambers. They can bring things up. And what is scaring them right now is that there there is a group of moderate Republicans who have uh, started what they call a discharge petition. We can talk about this with Niels a little bit later. Uh, But it would set up votes and the most popular measure, which would probably be one that Democrats, a majority of Democrats and a small number of Republicans favor, which would address a whole host of issues, not just border security, but like the, the DACA kids and so forth. That that may that may win. Uh, And this this is not like, okay with Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and the folks who run the Freedom Caucus. So they held up the farm bill, which was this kind of like this thing that they all supported because they're like they don't want this this moderate immigration thing done. So when you're talking about loopholes, when you're talking about addressing immigration, it's kind of on the the, you know, the Democrats, you know, it, 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 it's it's not on them as much as it is the Republicans. And Rosenstein, to his credit, said, Congress, we need you to help, you know, like figure this out. We we're need Congress to get like its act together. We're hopeful, Mr. President, that we can get some assistance from the Congress in closing some of these loopholes so that our law enforcement officers won't have to work so hard. Uh, and so we won't have more victims. And I mean, this one of the things that this brings up is that, I mean, governing <laughs> legislating i mean is is a professional endeavor uh and it usually doesn't work all that well to just stamp your feet and hold your breath and and yell at people until you get your way i mean it does take i mean like immigration law like <laughs> all laws should be revisited to see how effective they are and like you know shaped to like be become more modern it it's not a great idea to wing it <laughs> we're just going to wing it wing it um, so I, I, I mean, th- this, but this was a, you know, this is sort of this moment where, you know, the, I mean, he, he brought some, you know, some other folks with him, the, the Homeland Security Secretary, who he has not been, uh, super happy with, uh, Kirsten Nielsen, because, because of what's happening at the border, he's still up- upset that there are, um, you know, a, a, you know, kind of any crossings. He wants sort of a more zero tolerance policy on the border, which is, you know, his, his purview. But, um, things don't happen like that. You don't just, you know, flip a switch and then everything is everything is different but that i think is how he perceived his job i think that's what he ran on i think that's what he anticipated he was going to get into Partially- i mean i wanted to be the starting center fielder for the dodgers <laughs> yeah. when i was if like a, when i was a fishes, kid right? yeah, exactly. yeah, i mean i i i thought it was really easy you just go out <laughs> right. like you you catch the ball with two hands like I you know this. yeah yeah i, I mean you walk every once in a while you hit every once in a while yeah. like you know like it, it it's like bull durham you know you hit the ball you <laughs> you, you run uh and and I, when i grew up and became an adult i realized wow this is really difficult like being a professional baseball player is incredibly difficult a very small number of people actually know how to do it folks who, who could have possibly thought <laughs> and and it's the same with legislating this is actually difficult stuff i mean th- there's a reason people like rod rosenstein are good at it because that's all they do right, right. <laughs> i mean like they, they don't really have a lot of time to uh you know sort of concoct narratives about how they're persecuted i mean they, they're too busy studying you know they're too busy going to law school and stuff like that you yeah, know they, I, I mean this in the nicest sense but like there are ice-chewing psychopaths that make the government work <laughs> because it's what they do. 
I was so bad for your enamel on your teeth. It's so bad. But I was just, I I, I mentioned this yesterday again, too. I I was watching this HBO documentary, The Final Year, that's all about Barack Obama's final year. And a lot of it centers on foreign policy. And the amount of bandwidth that these people have, Mm -hmm. that they spent on... Whatever the topic was, uh, uh, right? Like they a lot, a lot, a lot of, of the Iran deal. There was a lot of Iran, Iran deal in this, yeah. right? And so, like the amount of time that they spend on it, planning, writing, studying, all this stuff. I, I Donald Trump's studying of the Iran deal came purely from Fox and Friends. That's it. I think I don't think he's ever read a piece of literature on that. I, it would it would be surprising, uh, and I mean the, the you, you mentioned that it is a great documentary. Yeah. I mean, like regardless of your, you know, where you lean on a partisan spectrum, to see government at work, to see how people conduct themselves. I mean, Samantha Power, who was the UN ambassador or the U.S. ambassador to the UN at the time. I mean, they they show her, you know, going into like. Africa and 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 dealing with like the you know the mothers and the and the parents of the the you know of the kids who had been kidnapped by Boko Haram and and like you just see like how what a a grind it is I mean like you know they're traveling they're like they're up you know like with briefing books they're trying to figure out how to deal you know with like the just like the nuts and bolts of a very complicated subject and it it's a I mean the I think you know zoom out 50 years and look and and the way historians like frame like the obama years and the trump years it'll be i I think it'll be kind of fascinating because it'll be like there's a real difference in approach to government i mean like and and one is probably a reaction to the other um you know much like i mean obama you know people wanted something besides bush you know when they when they elected obama uh and now we're in another reactive mode here and at a certain point like the government actually does reassert its own prerogatives and try to just make things work and function. It really was interesting to me to see how they dealt with Syria, right? Because we've talked to a lot of foreign policy, progressive foreign policy people who just said that is is the biggest blemish on the record Mm -hmm. of the Obama administration, what they did not do in Syria. And to watch them sort of pour over it and look at their options and what they had it was really fascinating. And mm-hmm. it also, I think, again, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, if you think that House of Cards is really how Washington works, <laughs> it's really like an Iannucci film. Like, it really <laughs> like it really is closer to that than, than House of Cards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it's uh, – it, I, so I, I can do my own little plug here. I mean, like, I interviewed Ben Rhodes and, uh, and the filmmaker – uh, ben Rhodes, of course, being the the one of the uh, National Security Advice, uh, Council's spokesman in the Obama White House, got into a little bit of hot water himself by talking about how he loved him, you know the ways that he kind of played the press. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, I, I, I talked to him and, and the filmmaker's name escapes me right now. Uh, but I for a podcast that I did oh, cool. uh, er, earlier this year, and it was um, it was kind of amazing because they just had so much footage. They they didn't know exactly what they were going to like focus in on, so they had different. Uh, things that they wanted to address. And because they were kind of racing against the clock to try to formulate the Iran deal, it, that that became more of the focus. And that's why you see so much more of like John Kerry at the end and Ben Rhodes at the end, because they're just there really is this kind of thought that they're running out of time, even though it's like, you know, they've been in office for eight years. Um, and I you know, I'm those those people do exist in in par- different parts of the government, but they are not the ones who are, um, you know, tweeting right now in the white house yeah i i think to say that they have a 
diminished <clears throat> diminished role is a bit of an understatement. I mean, it. I, I have been kind of fascinated. I mean, like you know, I, I I didn't know what to expect out of Mike Pompeo becoming Secretary of State, um, and and I I don't know if a lot of people still know what to expect. You know, he he was uh, one of Hillary Clinton's you know like biggest critics, particularly in his role on the Benghazi Committee. Um, you know, he. You know, we didn't hear a ton about the CIA. There weren't there weren't any big like flare ups there. There weren't as many leaks it, like a lot of the criticism from CIA towards the Trump administration came from former, you know, agents, you know, for former directors like Brennan or um, and in 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 Pompeo's time there. And now as secretary of state, I mean, he you know, he had there was some fireworks at a House committee, a House uh uh, he was he was testifying before yesterday. He got into it a little bit and, you know, about his, his approach. But he he seems to be a little bit more empowered, if nothing else, than Rex Tillerson was as secretary of state. And they do seem like they're like, hey, you know what? We actually do need an ambassador to like South Korea right now. Why <laughs> yeah. don't we why don't we get that going? And, yeah. they, and they move the guy who was going to be the ambassador to Australia, you know, to to. Uh, um, to be nominated to be South Korean envoy, which you know could could be somewhat helpful in in <laughs> talks about denuclearizing a you know basically what we consider a terrorist state right now. I mean that's sort of the thing <clears throat> when trying to figure out what's going on because the Trump campaign when they were running for president and a lot of the Steve Bannon rhetoric was all about sort of dismantling the government, and you look at Rex Tillerson who is at state and i don't know that it was necessarily a dismantling but it was certainly they just ignored that wing of the government they just didn't care and so now mike pompeo who again is one of these guys that's a like he's has a history of public service like him or not Mm -hmm. uh and he's a serious person uh he wouldn't just take that job to do nothing like rex tillerson did so I, I I really have a hard time figuring out whether they actually want to dismantle the government or whether or not they want to keep it going or mm-hmm. whether or not they just don't care or whether or not it's just so disorganized, which is probably true. It's just everything's just so disorganized that they don't even know how to put it all together. Well, I mean, you know, the, the first time that I heard the term drain the swamp, it was people like Nancy Pelosi and George Miller <laughs> were using it in 2005 and 2006 as they were yeah. desperately – you know, trying to get back into the majority in in the House and culture it, of and, corruption, right? And it worked. Yeah. It worked. I mean, the, it, it it like they were, I mean, they got a great assist from Republicans, like like Mark Foley and, uh, and Tom Delay, yeah. you know, and people who were being indicted or you know being <laughs> uh, investigated and so forth. <clears throat> Excuse me, but you know the the running against Washington, running against the government, running against you know all this stuff this this is like as old as the hills you know and and really the people out of power are the ones that are going to employ that kind of rhetoric you know like they're they're the ones who are hungry um you know this i was i was struck a little bit like i, I did a little bit of uh, uh i did another podcast about believe it or not the relationship between Roseanne and Atlanta as shows oh wow so and and one of the things that is fascinating is that they're both portray of like people under tremendous economic, political, cultural anxiety. And the, the thing that struck me about the finale of Roseanne the other night was that, again, Roseanne has made a point as a person and as a, as a character of criticizing the government, right? And in the end, a spoiler alert uh, for, for those of you who, didn't, who hadn't seen the show, um, you know, Roseanne like, and, and her family are basically saved because FEMA comes in and they're going to employ Dan, 
uh, to, to like repair a bunch of stuff that's been flooded out in Lanford. Um, and so the government kind of rides to the rescue and it's celebrated in Roseanne. So there's a little like, you know, the government is always bad until you need it. That's the disconnect. <laughs> that's the disconnect between just about every single Trump voter. And frankly, a lot of just like generally Republican voters. Right. Well, and and I think that you know there, we we do like to think that there is this absolute coherence in pe- people's political parties, and there isn't. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. The, the, you know that there. Absolutely. People's people's beliefs are very complicated, and you know, and when when a figure like Trump comes along, who is extraordinary, and I mean that as an extraordinary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it, I mean, this is this is a moment in politics. This is not your normal. You know, this isn't Rutherford Hayes. You know, running the government. <laughs> Uh, th- right. th- th- uh, this is somebody who, you know, we got to pay attention to and, and scrambles some loyalties. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Niels Lesniewski, the senior Senate reporter at Roll Call. And we're going to run down some of the stuff that Congress is doing. You might be surprised. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. My name is Jason Dick, and I am the leadership and enterprise managing editor at Roll Call. I'm subbing in for Bill Press, who is on his way to Antarctica for the Antarctica Book Festival. Uh, as, as we mentioned before, we thought it was Greenland, but he's taking Jerry Brown uh, from Sacramento on a trip down to Antarctica, and they're going to hawk uh, Bill's book. That may or may not be true. Whatever you got to do to sell a couple of books, man. <laughs> Joining me in the studio is Niels Lesniewski, my colleague at Roll Call, our senior Senate reporter. And we're going to break down uh, some of what's going on in Congress, because uh, as as we like to as we like to sort of sport, we're we're paying attention to the stuff that is that people may not always pay attention to. Um, And we're going to get to some of that. There's some legislation that's on its way to the president's desk that uh, may have some effects that reverberate on the campaign trail. But first. How did you spend part of your day yesterday, Niels? <laughs> well, I was watching yet another edition of the classic members of Congress go to the Exxon station next to Union Station on right. the north side of the Capitol building in D.C. to complain about the cost of a gallon of gasoline. Well, Roseanne has has uh, paved the way for reboots, you know, on, <laughs> on 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 classic shows. So talk about this. Talk about this little mini show that we see every so often. Well, uh, this year's edition, uh, Chuck Schumer was the headliner, the New York Democrat, who's now the minority leader uh, in the Senate. Uh, it's not the first time that Chuck has been the headliner at this very event. We actually <laughs> we actually found photos of him him leading the same event in mm-hmm. 2006, back when there was another Republican in the White House, George W. Bush, of mm-hmm. course. And so basically this event is a sort of staged news conference that never really gets all that much uh, attend a- attendees, mm-hmm. really. Uh, but roughly once a year, usually in the run-up to Memorial Day, before the summer driving season starts, uh, about the time AAA puts out the report on how high gallon of gas is getting um they they descend there and, and they blame someone or something for why gas is so expensive and like demand, the president <laughs> like the president and demand that opec produce more oil or that uh they they do something about fuel economy standards or uh we you know one time it was the republicans in 2005 i think pushing a, a big energy production uh bill right uh, and that was that was led 
by none other than former Speaker Jay Dennis Hastert. Uh, Denny Hastert, who, of course, we now know our, more. Our prison, yes. We now know more <laughs> about than we did then. Right. So, and what, there is a little bit of a, a home court advantage that the that people get when they go to Congressional Exxon uh, that, that's kind of baked into it. And what what's that? Uh, congressional Exxon is... Uh, probably, maybe, may now be the most expensive gas station in the District of Columbia. Right now, that one, that one Valero by the Watergate. The one is, by the Watergate, the, yeah, yeah, the one there, there was one by the Watergate that would be consistently a dollar and a half more a gallon than anybody else. Uh, but now that they're kind of to the side, uh, this 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 Exxon station, as this news conference was going on yesterday, was selling a gallon of regular unleaded for three dollars and eighty nine cents. Uh, just uh, by way of comparison, uh, I took the bus to this studio this morning, and as I'm riding on the bus, uh, you could get a gallon of regular at a BP on Rhode Island Avenue for two ninety nine. Mm. A little, a little cheaper, and and it, it's. I mean, again, w- not to make light of people who are having difficulty filling the gas tank, but this uh, this seems to come up with regularity, and it and it is a it's a bit of. A, you know, it's an easy rhetorical play. Um, not, not that there are some merits, obviously, to gas prices rising and how that has an effect. But they're actually remarkably stable because if you look at your story on RollCall.com, you can see what gas prices were 12 years ago, and they're they're actually remarkably similar. <laughs> they're 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 in that three to four dollar range, even at Congressional Exxon. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's a it's one of those things we like to point out as a, it's considered a public service uh, announcement of like, yes, this is a good legitimate thing to bring up, but there's a little right. bit more context to it. <laughs> uh, no energy package on the any, either one of the chamber's floors anytime soon, though. No, I, I, <laughs> I don't think we'll be going that way this time. So, um, you know, there, obviously, you know, in, in Washington and on the news, the president commands a ton of attention, uh, particularly when you have things like you know the the comment in in comments in Long Island about MS13, uh, whether the, the status of the investigation of his campaign is going, you know all that kind of stuff. But Congress is bizarrely, perhaps for for people who uh, you know like like to think of it as just a do nothing place, it's actually passing legislation. Uh, like let's let's talk about some of this legislation because one of the stories you wrote earlier this week was about how. Um, you know, this is this stuff is operating actually have the effect of ha- of helping some Democrats who are in tough races. Yeah, that's right. This just this week. And in fact, uh, today, um, this the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, is basically signing the paperwork to send over to President Trump uh, the paperwork for three different bills that all have interesting bipartisan constituencies. Mm hmm. Um, some with broad bipartisan support. Another one of the three really does not have support on the left, but there were enough moderate Democrats who were on board. Uh, so there's this, there's another uh, Veterans Affairs mm-hmm. overhaul bill that's trying to uh, clean up the uh, issues that were created with the solution to the last VA problem with, mm-hmm. the, with the VA Choice Act, which was the one that let uh, a lot of uh, veterans use uh, local providers that were not VA hospitals right. or clinics, uh, but that turned out to be in a lot of ways unworkable. There are cases uh, out west, and this plays into this question of vulnerable incumbent senators because mm-hmm. the ones who are really interested there include uh, John Tester from Montana, mm-hmm. 
Um, there, there were cases where I, I was in a situation during the last uh, campaign cycle um, where uh, our, my ro- our roll call colleague Bill Clark and I were in tiny Ely, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Ely, Nevada. Not Eli, Nevada. Not Eli, Ely. Ely. <laughs> and in Ely, uh, there was basically a room full of people who were complaining about having to drive an hour and a half to either Salt Lake City or to Reno mm-hmm. uh, just to get basic medical care. Uh, a lot of, obviously, former service members live mm-hmm. in this community, and it was one of these things where it was like, this is patently absurd to everybody. Right. Uh, this is not, uh, and and the people who are supporting this bill were trying to make clear that this is not, uh, Senator Sanders has a different point of view here, but generally speaking, this isn't talking about really privatizing the VA where there are any VA facilities. Right, this is right. about how the heck do you get people to get health care right. when there is no government option, right. basically. Right. And so this bill, you know, John Tester, as you mentioned, is the ranking Democrat on the Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, he's in a tough race. The president ran, you know, won his state by 20 points or more. Uh, and, and he, you know, he so he's he was going to face like a tough race to begin with. He, uh, you know, was was at sort of the the front lines of criticizing Ronnie Jackson, who's the pre- who was the president's physician and and short time nominee for the VA. The president said that Chester should resign um, if and and at a minimum get vo- voted out. But when he delivers on a bill like this, because he's one of the sponsors and he worked very closely with the Republican chairman Johnny Isaacson of Georgia on this, and that you know it was just like this love fest on the floor of the Senate this week of. Isaacson and, and right. Tester talking about how they love each other and they work so well together and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's like, a, that's that really seems to be, one, you're taking care of some problems. You're consolidating programs into one, you know, that, that might work a little better than previously. And then you've got, like, it the a lot of the advantage going to, like, a, a vulnerable Democrat. Yeah, and, 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 and that's not the only one. Uh, the other, one of the other pieces, uh, we'll get to the, I'm going to take up the, the first one I'll talk about is this right to try mm-hmm. legislation, which for anyone who actually watched that when you were watching the State of the Union, it was one of the things that sort of randomly got a, a shout out mm-hmm. from the president in the State of the Union, uh, most likely because Mike Pence, uh, uh, Vice President Pence, is very has been very involved in this issue. But it mm-hmm. basically uh, would allow... Uh, people who are terminally ill, who are not participating in in, in sort of clinical trials, uh, to try and uh, get access directly to to drugs that aren't approved by the FDA, mm-hmm. uh, and so the 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 lead Democrat on that, not surprising because Pence is also from Indiana, uh, is Joe Donnelly, who has one of the the hottest and most contested races this year as well. So Donnelly, uh, to be sure, is going to be claiming. Uh, a mm-hmm. victory there, and 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 so some of the question will be whether or not these people actually get invited to signing ceremonies at the right. White House, the Rose Garden, and all that uh, with Trump, or if they try and um, and and should point out too that the you know like Donnelly, um, you know, being from Indiana, Pence being from Indiana, Indiana is a is a big pharmaceutical state. I mean, this is where you know a lot of like the biggest pharmaceutical companies who have a stake in allowing you know some drugs that you know. As you said, I mean, it can take years and years to go through a clinical trial to get approved by the FDA. Like this is a this is a win for them. They, if nothing else, they certainly aren't going to be campaigning necessarily or spending PAC money to defeat Donnelly uh, in in what could be you know one of those races that determines who's in the majority or not. 
Right, and in, and the, into the the third bill on our list, which is the uh, which is this this Dodd Frank uh, rollback of sorts uh, that would that would basically uh, uh, strip out a bunch of the regulations for for what supporters will call community banks. Uh, some of those are community quote unquote community banks like Fifth Third in in Ohio and whatnot are a little bit larger than community banks. Right. We're not really talking about. Small, small banks. Right. We're talking about basically anything that's not Chase or Bank of America or right. that set. Um, but that, but there have actually been um, some of the bank lobbies have actually said they will actually be running ads in support of Democrats who help write the bill. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly which, how much money is going to be put in, right. but there, you may actually see groups like the Financial Services Roundtable saying right. nice things about Heidi Heidkamp up in North Dakota. And Someone so else on. who has a very tough race just happens to be in a tough race in a state that the you know the the president won by leaps and bounds. Uh, you know in, in in North Dakota, and that was that created this weird rift. You, you mentioned it earlier, but uh, when we started talking about this between. Uh, Democrats like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders uh, and and people like Tester and Heidi Heitkamp and Claire McCaskill, people who are, you know, like they they are in Republican or Republican leaning or heavily Republican states, uh, but also states that have a lot of rural interests. And like they're this is a win for them. And it, and it sort of overcame, you know, like a lot of the, the Democratic opposition and a lot of the populism that people like Sanders and Warren have come to. Um, you know, sort of symbolize of like pushing back against the banks and and punishing banks for bad behavior. I mean, and it's it, there. There seem to be like some hard feelings about that. I'm like, yeah, there there were there were there were some complaints, uh, particularly lodged <laughs> in the direction of Warren, who, of course, you know, bank regulation is sort of how she came to being as a political uh, character. Was was through the the creation of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Which she probably would have been administering if the Senate Republicans had said no way, no how, uh, which sort of led her to be, okay, well, I guess I'll go run for Senate now. And knock off Scott Brown. And knock off Scott <laughs> Brown, who is now in New Zealand. Uh, As our envoy, that is one of the ambassadors that did get confirmed. We don't have one somebody in South Korea yet, but we do have Scott Brown looking out for us in New Zealand. I yeah. about that. So, I totally <laughs> forgot about where he went. Yeah, he's yeah. he's down there shirtless. <laughs> Most certainly. <laughs> I, I was I, I, I may or may I may have made the joke when the when this whole question about the ambassador to Australia came up, you mentioned that they were send they want to send uh Admiral Harris to Korea instead. Uh so then there was this trial balloon floated of Bob Corker was uh, the foreign relations chairman and Republican uh, from Tennessee in the Senate. Sometimes a, Trump critic. Sometimes <laughs> Trump critic was mm -hmm. apparently offered by Trump and Pompeo the the uh, ambassadorship in Australia, which seemed in some ways like maybe a bid to get rid of him early, right. uh, but also seemed sort of out of the blue. And I don't. And I was thinking, I don't know if. Scott Brown and, and Bob Corker would be palling around <laughs> down there if uh, if if he had he had to go down there, but it was just 
that was another two, oddity of this two, week. Two different temperaments, you know. The, the, I, I think the uh, when when Scott Brown posed for Cosmopolitan, like it was he beat out Corker, you know, for that for that slot in in Cosmopolitan. So I mean, that was that was like it's just been a, a <laughs> that may or may not be true. You know? <laughs> Corker's still sore about it though. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it 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 is difficult not to see some political. Um, can I use my one uh, use of the term shenanigans right now? You can use it. It. It's difficult not to see some political shenanigans at work and saying, is. like, hey, uh, Bob, why don't you go down to Australia, creating an open seat for which the governor can then appoint someone like, say, I don't know, Marsha Blackburn, uh, to, to the Senate seat, and she can run as an incumbent uh, and uh, against uh, Phil Bredesen, who's the Democrat who, like, is um, surprisingly running, a, a like, a, a fairly strong challenge. Um, I mean, people didn't. Anticipate a dem- tough Democratic showing in Tennessee, but Bredesen probably gives them the best chance that they have. And there, there seems the, the the people who are running Republican Senate campaigns are, you know, they're they're not sweating profusely, but the sweat's starting to show in their pits about Tennessee. I think. And 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 Corker has. Uh, not exactly gone out of his way to be helpful <laughs> to Marsha Blackburn. Right. Uh, he refers you, to her as just the candidate. <laughs> he refers to her as the candidate. He, uh, when asked if he is supporting Marsha Blackburn, he's like, well, I sent her a check. <laughs> but so just so you know, for anyone who doesn't know Bob Car- Corker, Bob Corker is one of those insanely rich members of the Senate. Mm-hmm. He had a, was a real estate developer and made a ton of money in Chattanooga. Um, so the fact that he made a max campaign contribution to Marsha Blackburn is... It's kind of, of like me buying you coffee a little later on. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not perfect. It doesn't really like, mean No, much Nils, let me him. get your ice latte. No, really. <laughs> um. So, so, so we've got the right to try VA reform, banking regulation. We have an enrollment ceremony, and uh, like that, that the speaker is going to take place. And now, now, mainly, I mean, not, uh, I, it, it's just, I'm, I, it, it is a little weird to me because, like, obviously, you want to trumpet your legislative accomplishments, and that's what you do. But, it, but public enrollment ceremonies are relatively rare. I mean, you, they just don't happen that often. They happened with the tax bill the last time, I think, right? Yeah, I think I think the last yeah. one that the last one that I remember getting a whole lot of attention was the the one with the tax bill. It's sort of a step that yes, you can make it a ceremony, but a lot of the time it just sort of is a perfunctory step. And the real sort of signing ceremony takes place down right. at the other end at, at the White House. Right. Um, you also have to make sure that you get the enrollment. Anytime someone talks about an enrollment ceremony, I feel like I have to remind everyone that they have to make sure that all the paperwork is in order. Right. Um, because we, we did once have an issue with a farm bill where they forgot to send part of the bill to the White House. <laughs> and they had to go through this whole routine of, 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 of basically repassing the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, the ceremony is good and the pageantry is good, but they have to make sure that they don't inadvertently mess something up uh, in the meantime. Yeah. Um, but it'll be it's also going to be interesting to see who exactly shows up at the Ryan uh, signing ceremony if all these red state Senate Democrats are <laughs> arm in arms with Paul Ryan and, and, and Steve Scalise and whoever else shows up from the House. It is. Uh, it'll. It'll be interesting to to check it out. Um, now, another like we've got a holiday coming up. You know, we got a recess after that. 
Uh, so this is basically one of the, this will be the last day of like any kind of significant business happening. Um, we're probably going to see the, uh, what is fairly typical, like a, a big round of nominations, like, you know, get passed in, in block, uh, and some, and some things, uh, the, you wrote, uh, a, a little bit about the, this anti-harassment legislation that, uh, Roy Blunt, a Republican from Missouri and member of the leadership team, uh, and basically like kind of. He, I think he's just has a subcommittee chairmanship on everything now. I mean, he's just like he's just like he should just be like uber like you know yes you know kind of guy you know he'll he'll be in the chair for this last round before the weekend starts probably presiding over the chamber, uh, and Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from Minnesota, possible. 2020 contender. They teamed up. Uh, they're they're the leaders of the Rules and Administration Committee in the Senate on this uh, anti-harassment legislation. And this thing's probably going to pass unanimously or by by voice vote, right? Yeah, they, they have um, like I, today or tomorrow. I talk, yeah, yeah, I talked I talked to Senator Blunt yesterday, and they have hotline the bill, which mm-hmm. in, is Senate parlance for we are trying to get all hundred senators to sign off or at least no one to object. Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems like the kind where because. Among among its provisions, it would require um, harassment settlements, uh, but not necessarily discrimination settlements, mm-hmm. but harassment settlements to be paid out of pocket by members themselves right. rather than Blake Ferenthal and his eighty four thousand uh, dollar the how the the now former House Republican from Texas, who apparently will never pay back his. Uh, uh, settlement money that he used taxpayer dollars to pay somebody off, basically, right. and they uh, so they're they're going to try and fix that problem. It wouldn't surprise me if there's a senator or two who actually has a problem with that, mm-hmm. but it, there's no way you want to be found out having yeah. objected to this because right. then your career is probably over. Right. Like then then the questions start. Like who uh, who who's left? Let's take a look at who's left your office sort of suddenly. Uh, you know, like let, let's see who. Has a, a a problem, yeah, and and this to to um, to back up a little bit, the House has already passed their version of this legislation to address you know sexual harassment to mandate training for all members and staff. Um, I mean, this is again like things can move glacially until they don't move glacially anymore, <laughs> uh, and and it seems like this is this is moving, and we wouldn't be surprised to see it like you know, and and uh, there are are there enough differences that that they may need that they need a conference to reconcile things. I get the sense that they that the House is not necessarily too pleased with mm-hmm. what the, what the Senate legislation does, so that seems possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't that pleased with the banking bill, and it's Paul Ryan's about to sign that. <laughs> that's exactly right. They, it's entirely it's entirely possible they may just be like, well, this this may not be mm-hmm. this may be something of a half measure. Uh, it's stronger than the House bill in some ways, weaker in other ways. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a different compromise. One thing that the Senate bill does get rid of is the uh, is the quote unquote counseling requirement, mm. which basically meant after you brought a complaint. Uh, that that you had to there was like all these waiting periods and cooling off periods where basically it sounded like you were being asked, "Are you sure you were really harassed?" Right. And and that right. sort of thing. A lot of the sort of right. blame the victim stuff, which is awful, uh, mm-hmm. was sort of baked into yeah. the old process. Uh, so the Senate bill apparently would fix that. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna wrap up in a couple minutes here, a little under two minutes. Uh, are we gonna be here in August? You think? There uh, there have been these threats about. You know, like canceling August break, at least for the Senate, so they can process nominations and, and spending bills. Do you think—how how real of a of a threat is this, you think? Well, 
Uh, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader in the Senate, says he's going to have more information on that soon. His version of Trump's we'll see. (laughs) Uh, So I I would just going to go out on a limb and say that they'll probably they'll probably cut a week off Mm -hmm. of the August recess. Mm -hmm. um, And that may be about it. I don't I don't really get the appetite or sense the appetite for for a prolonged uh, uh, cancellation of August recess, particularly when. So like today, the last actual recorded vote before this recess, uh, which is going to come up around 2 p.m., is confirmation of the ambassador to Luxembourg. Very important. So important. Right. That that, that embassy is in chaos right now. <laughs> Needs a strong hand. <laughs> uh, and then uh, my my favorite uh, my favorite ritual, which is uh, right before these recesses, right there at the end of the week, after the last recorded vote, what do we get to hear about? We get to hear about Dan Sullivan's Alaskan of the Week. Do we have no any idea who the Alaskan of the week is going to be? I, I, I do not know who the Alaskan of the week is, although I wouldn't be surprised if Senator Blunt is there presiding over the Alaskan of the week, just like you see just about every Thursday at about 5 p.m. Well, for C-SPAN 2 viewers, tune in to Dan Sullivan's Alaskan of the week uh, as the Senate heads out after this week. Niels, thank you so much for joining us thank on the you. Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. I'm the managing editor for Leadership and Enterprise at Roll Call. I'm joined this half hour by Brandon Weatherby, the managing editor of Brightest Young Things here in D.C. Bill Press is out. He is on his way to Tasmania and its book festival to hawk from the left. Uh, we will talk to Brandon about a number of topics that we uh, can't wait to get into. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. We go to Los Angeles, California, where yesterday it was in West Hollywood. Dateline, Chi-Chi LaRue's adult retail store, <laughs> where Stormy Daniels, adult film actress, was given the key to the city, and it was named Stormy Daniels Day yesterday in West Hollywood. Uh, The actress, whose real name is, of course, Stephanie Clifford, spoke about the rich history of West Hollywood, California. The community of West Hollywood was founded more than three decades ago on the principle that everyone should be treated with dignity and fairness and decency. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Over 30 30 years years of tradition. Y'all, that's like, yeah, that's a lot of time. I mean, 
good for her. I'm glad that she stays in the news. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with it. So. This is this is part of the strategy. We can talk to Brandon a little bit about this. It's like if you're not in the news, you're dying. Yeah, exactly. Also, uh, you an Amazon Prime guy? Uh, so my my wife and I split. I do the Netflix. She does Amazon Prime. Okay, all right. So I got the Amazon Prime. A lot of people have Amazon Prime because you can order stuff and it gets delivered to your house and like you know. I love a stuff. Matter of hours. Love stuff. Stuff is great. Stuff is great. I'm a big fan. I have all of stuff's albums. <laughs> However, here's the thing with Amazon: if you order too much stuff, your habitual order and then you return it, right? Which there's, there's a lot of ease there. You you can order stuff and if you don't like it, you send it back. It, it don't cost nothing. Amazon is keeping tabs on how much you return. And according to the Wall Street Journal, they have actually banned consumers from making purchases on their website knowing that they there's a good chance that they're going to return them. So, like, let's say you make 10 purchases and you return nine of them. Amazon knows and they'll say, actually, no, you can't buy this. <laughs> it's like having your mom there with yeah, pretty you much. Like at, at the store. Like, no, you're not going to yeah, get that. You can't get that. Put nope. that back. No, nope. you Put can't, that you back. can't get the allowed. unicorn underwear today. No. <laughs> so, I mean, it's again, while Amazon Prime is very convenient for a lot of people, if you if you order it too much and then you send it back, that's obviously uh, going to be a problem. For, for Amazon. By the way, yesterday, talking about sports, uh, they announced that the Super Bowl is going back to New Orleans in 2024. That's Super Bowl 58. Uh, it, there's been a little bit of a drought uh, with because it's all it's like New Orleans is one of the places that can actually handle the Super Bowl really, right. really well. Uh, the last time they had it there, there was a big problem. <laughs> the, the power went the out. The power <laughs> went out during the Super Bowl. So they took it away from them for a couple of years. But now they say they think they're ready. They can have it back there. Uh, it'll be the 11th time that it's been in New Orleans. And that and that goes back to when they had it at Tulane, when when they had when everything was open air. I oh mean, like wow! The, the reason the reason that they they had you know the Super Bowls in places like Pasadena and Miami and New Orleans is because they were the only places that were warm in right. January. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and also, this is kind of fascinating because we've talked a lot about Uber and their self-driving car program. Well, they have shut it down in Arizona. It sort of started up in Arizona. Where they killed somebody. There was a fatal crash. There was a fatal crash involving one of the vehicles. They uh, owned up to that yesterday. And they said that they are not shutting down the entire autonomous vehicle program, but specifically the one there in Las Vegas. It's still happening. Phoenix. Phoenix, right? Phoenix or Vegas? Phoenix. What did I say? Vegas. Yeah, I didn't mean Vegas. Yeah, sorry. There Phoenix. is a slight difference in, this, in the cities. They're both <laughs> in the desert. But. Yeah. yeah, so in Phoenix, uh, they're shutting it down. It's still happening, by the way, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and also in certain parts of of California, so they're not shutting the whole thing down, but they are happening shutting it down there where you know they killed somebody, and where everybody loves cars. You loves can't you it. can't have cars killing people because people love cars in Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. We are back after that 
almost eternal 10 seconds of w without us talking. <laughs> Joining me, Jason Dick, uh, I'm the managing editor at Roll Call, subbing in for Bill Press, is my friend Brandon Weatherby. He is the managing editor at BYT, brightest young things here in D.C. Brandon, welcome back to the Bill Press Show. Thanks for having me. And and it's not zero degrees uh, and, and the city is actually functioning, which is that a miracle was, after Game 7 last night. It was better in January. Why do people like the Cavs? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Ovechkin <laughs> likes Putin. He has a social media campaign for Putin. We want the cup. They're the Cavs fans chanting That is the jump. Listen, you're never going to win with him. I've said this <laughs> on record forever. I know he's like 14 years in, and I realize they're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. I don't care. If you like the Caps, you're a dumb person. <laughs> or you support this, Putin, this which is get... fine. You can support Putin. Just know that you support Putin. That's okay. If you like Putin, good for you. You should have. You should be a fan of things. So, uh, well, one of the things that I... So, I... I have this weird like sports identity because I, I moved here in 1998, 20 years ago. Um, I mean, when I moved here, Phoenix didn't have the Diamondbacks yet. You know, and actually they they got them that year, but right after I had moved here, um, I I never. I mean, you know, the, we had a minor league hockey team at the time. I mean, I still am a Phoenix Suns fan because mm -hmm. that was like the major league. You know, like team of of my youth. Shout out Dan uh, Marley. Shout out Dan Marley. Yeah. Yes, very good. Uh, Kevin Johnson and yeah. and uh, you know. You want to shout out Kevin Johnson well, in twenty eighteen? Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> take, yeah, let's maybe take that not. Back. Actually, Larry Nance. How's that? Larry <laughs> let's Nance. Go with Charles Barkley. Yeah, sure. Charles Barkley. Well, he's got some issues himself, right? Without so, Charles Barkley, do we have Dougie Jones? We probably don't. Okay, we probably don't. Yeah. Good point. The, and also, he point. played basketball one on one versus Godzilla in the greatest Nike ad campaign, <laughs> and won. <laughs> also, the, okay, so if you're bored one day, look up stories about the Dream Team, the 92 Dream Team. Nike had an animated commercial about the Dream Team, and so it was all five of the members that had Nikes, including Jordan and Pippen, and it was animated, and I don't know if you remember this, they had uh, bulls, because it was in Spain. You know? Right. So right. the premise of the- Barcelona. Exactly. Yeah. The premise of the animated commercial was, we're going to do the running of the bulls, and then all the players are going to like turn into like weird matadors. And at the end, Charles Barkley turns into a bull- in the same commercial, they have an animated Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen who play for the Bulls, <laughs> yet they're like, no, that guy represents the Bulls. They're a little too on the nose. Well, I mean, this is this is the country that gave us Picasso and Salvador Dali. So, I mean, if, if things get weird, like, I mean, it's just kind of expected, right? Yeah. Spain? Spain <laughs> rules. Surreal Nike commercials. <laughs> I like it. But, so, but, but I... You know, so when I got here, I mean, like, I, I didn't really think that much about hockey. And I and, and in 19, 1998, that was the last time the Caps actually mm -hmm. went to uh, the Stanley Cup Finals, ironically with another Russian, uh, Yaramar no, Yager. No, not right? ironically, no, no. <laughs> stereotypically, because Russians dominate in hockey because it's cold there and none of them are good enough to play basketball, the superior sport. <laughs> So they all play hockey. <laughs> basketball is the future. Sorry, Catch most, up. most of most of the Soviets uh, on on those basketball teams were from Lithuania <laughs> uh, and and Estonia and places. That's like right. That. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that struck me about like watching Ovechkin last night is that he is um, terrifying. I mean, he is a he is a terrifying looking man. I mm -hmm. mean, I mean, he he looks like. He looks like a villain. That's why you should breed with more people that aren't from your background. <laughs> That's why Russians are ugly people. That's Wait, what I'm saying. I, I, boy, oh Peter, Peter, the the social media traffic is going to be off. I the don't charts. care. <laughs> I don't care. This is great. That's this is good. At very few times am I proud to be an American. That's when I go to anywhere that right. doesn't look like it's. Hey, it's all one people from one place. True. That's why I live in a city. You can move people. You can move to a city and be with people that don't look like you. It's better. I'm better than you, Russians, is what I'm saying. <laughs>
So press show. Patriotic today. <laughs> I am giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration, people. Like so are, are you, uh, I mean, are you? do you have more than a passing interest in the Stanley Cup Finals? Are you going to root for the oh, Golden, I'm rooting Golden for the, Knights? I am hands down rooting for the Golden Knights because hockey is finally embracing its corruption. <laughs> By moving to Vegas? Yeah. They're, they're smarter than everyone. Also, I'm a, I was a huge Blackhawks fan. Mm-hmm. That means we won three Stanley Cups in a period of six years, and that was wonderful. And then, you know, Patrick Kane and sexual assault exists. So I stopped oh, becoming. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you forget? Did you mm. everyone forget? <laughs> I actually did. Did I everyone totally forget? Forgot. Yeah. So then I was like, well, that's stupid. So I don't care about hockey anymore, and I'm superior for that. <laughs> I'm anti sexual assault and anti Russian. I'm the bad guy here. <laughs> <laughs> Bill is it's so funny talking about the, the the Knights, right? Like Bill, who is a casual sports fan, and he which and that's generous. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't understand why they have a team in Las Vegas. There's no ice in Las Vegas. It's like the ice ice melts here too. Yeah, <laughs> like right. It's like just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you so know there should be like, like yeah, there should be four teams. There should be Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, and the second team from Toronto. Like that's right. all there should be. Right. Or, or they should move the the Arizona Coyotes uh, should move back <laughs> right. to Winnipeg and uh, the. I guess Denver get, can get cold, but they would move back to uh, Quebec to, be, sure. to, to re reassimilate the uh, the the Nordiques. That's the best name uh, in sports. Nordiques. Was oh yeah. yeah, that's the most fun name. So speaking of sports. Mm-hmm. Big Trump news. won. Yeah, yeah, Trump he won. He beat the NFL. He beat the NFL. His thirty-year like, quest has ended with right. a victory. Uh, I mean, and you know, this is—it's uh, it, always interesting, like to me, to think about the relationship between politics and sports, particularly because, like, I, I love the way that you think about it too. And like this, like Trump has been at war with the NFL for. Well, I mean, over thirty years, uh, longer than West Hollywood has been a city. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I mean, have you been to West Hollywood? It's fantastic, right? No, I mean, it's it's just it sounds silly, you know, like to say more than three decades. It's just that's we're just having a little fun. But like the you know this this thing with the uh, let's just go through mm-hmm. what the NFL did yesterday. They they <laughs> what they've always done <laughs> capitulate. <laughs> they so the, they the the new rule on the NFL is that. If players don't want to go out for the anthem under the field, they don't have to. But if they are out on the field, they are expected not to take a knee. And if they do take a knee, they are subject to fines. No, there is there is there might be there will probably be fines. The right. fines have Sub- I, subject to. I had a hard to, time yes. understanding yeah. that yeah. part yeah. of it. Yeah. Like what exactly happens if you do it? So the the I mean, and this is why the players' association is not like super thrilled about this because one, they weren't consulted. They mm-hmm. they say, and two, uh, it it is vague. So it's mm-hmm. up to the team. Team, uh, whether to fine, or it could be up to the NFL front office uh, to to fine. Uh, there were, there are already indications that like some teams, like the, the Seahawks, the 49ers, you know, are are like we're we're okay with this. I mean, we're we're a little more tolerant of it than say you know the the Browns uh, necessarily. I mean, that just came to mind because I like to pick on Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> but but like the you know the the Jets have said they'll pay they'll pay the fine. Yeah, you know, they'll they'll absorb the fine. So it's already chaotic, and which usually favors Donald Trump in these situations. Um, sure, he he does reign in chaos. He's pretty great at that. Uh, but no, the only issue, the only reason this exists, is because of Trump's comments last September. That's the 
only reason this exists. And the only reason why that existed is nothing to do with Kaepernick, and it has everything to do with the USFL and the lawsuit he won and was awarded $1. And when I say he, I mean the league. The USFL was awarded $1. There's a wonderful documentary about this. It's the 30 for 30 about the USFL. And the crux of it was uh, the USFL was a fantastic league that gave players like Herschel Walker and Jim Kelly a chance to play in the spring better than the fall, and it gave football fans a chance to watch two leagues, and uh, it was a moderate success. And then Trump said, we're going to challenge the NFL. Let's move it to the fall. And they sucked, and it didn't happen. Because he was an owner. Because he was an owner. Um, he bought it in the second year. Uh, fun fact about that, my absolute fu- my favorite fact about all of this, is he had almost had Don Shula as head coach. But of he, the generals of the But New he Jersey refused General. to give him a place in Trump Tower, refused <laughs> to give him a condo, so he walked. Uh, and that's my, my second favorite fact is he actually is the first guy that signed Lawrence Taylor. Oh, so wow, yeah. He yeah. got Lawrence Taylor paid twice. So from an agent point of view, Donald Trump is amazing. From an owner's point of view, not the best. <laughs> it's, that is the perfect Trumpy idea. Mm-hmm. You've got a good thing going. Why not completely screw it up, born out of your like terrible ego? Also, he didn't start the league. He wanted to be in in the first year, but they, sure. he didn't get the rates he wanted. So the guy that owned the Generals was like some Texas dude, and he's like, I don't want to. After one year, he was done. So Trump got him on essentially a fire sale. I have to play this clip, by the way, because this was earlier this week because Donald Trump welcomed the NASCAR Cup champion. Mm-hmm. Who I, I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, but Donald Trump was, first of all, said he wanted to drive his race car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he said... One thing I know about NASCAR, they do indeed, Brian, stand for the playing of the national anthem, right? They do indeed. Somebody said, maybe you shouldn't say that. That'll be controversial. I said, that's okay. NASCAR's not going to mind it at all. Right, fellas? Yeah, he's right. <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> What's... What's the incorrect thing he said there? <laughs> no, no, he's completely, he's absolutely correct. There is one African American driver on the NASCAR circuit, right? One, and and also, I mean, the, the I wasn't even aware that it was an issue at all with NASCAR. <laughs> like, yeah, right. But it is, right. but it, but it's you know, like, I mean, again, like this is like this is part of what the president does very well mm-hmm. is that he reframes issues. Where he feels comfortable, even when sometimes there isn't an issue. Yeah. Um, some, sometimes when there is not, or or when he gets caught. Like I, I actually the, it, I still can't tell what happened in that MS thirteen roundtable at the White House. I don't. I. I mean, I've I've listened to what the. What don't you understand? So well, so the you know the, the sheriff's talking about you know like I I, I want to be able to you know like communicate with federal authorities. He talks about their animals. It it still is not clear to me. Again, what's the antecedent? Is it MS-13? Is it immigrants? Like, and and you're like, overthinking it. You're all exactly. Overthinking it. And what and what Trump again? What he does very well is he reframes it. Is like, of course, I'm talking about MS-13, and Democrats love them. They coddle them. They're probably going to run them for speaker. You know, like later on, he went up to uh, as as we were talking about earlier in the uh, in the show, the the ancestral lands of Long Island uh, yesterday. Surrounded himself by Republican congressmen. Uh, and and said, hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, like I, I meant what I said that they are animals. Like kids are afraid to go out in the on, on the playground, and and by God, like if those kids weren't afraid to go out on the playground, they are now. They're not people. <laughs> These are animals, and we have to be very, very tough. The uh, the 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 if there was a and and again, you know, like Democrats kind of keep on taking the bait and talking about this and 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 fighting a war that is not on their turf instead of just sort of 
ignoring it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one one Republican who wasn't that happy about this, uh, w- w- and and I, uh, um, our, our next guest Simone Pefe, like may, may have uh, some interesting you know take on it too, which is that. Dan Donovan, uh, who is, uh, you know, he, he's a Republican congressman. He represents uh, parts of New York City, which is rare, uh, but it's a Staten Island-based uh, seat and uh, in, in parts of Brooklyn. He was there, uh, and as soon as he got the invite to go to this uh, this event in Bethpage, uh, which is not in his district, uh, he, he jumped at it and trumpeted it and said, like, the president, like, invited me, and I'm so happy and I'm so thrilled. One person who was not happy about that was Michael Grimm, uh, who is running against... Donovan in a in a primary. It looks like it's going to be a very tough race for for both people. Grimm, of course, is a former FBI agent. He's also a convicted felon uh, for dodging his taxes and operating some rest, some crappy restaurants that they didn't pay taxes on in New York. Uh, and he came out like strong about how like this is opportunistic of Donovan, who is a prosecutor. Uh, so you know it, it, it's it's an interesting like dynamic there. Um, but you know, like Grimm, like showing some of the dynamics in the primary, wanted in on it. He mm-hmm. wanted in on the rhetoric. He wanted to like be there next to Trump, yeah, and, and say like, I want to, I, 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 not only the animals, I, I want to go after them. Go, let put me in the in the game, coach. Well, I think they also have more in common because uh, they're both horrible businessmen. <laughs> Trump bankrupt his casinos. How do you lose money in the casino business? He did that. He he should be in jail for that. And and Grim, how do you, how do you lose money on uh, on vegetarian restaurants in New York? Oh, easily. That's a <laughs> restaurant. Restaurants are just a bad investment, people. That's crazy. Um. So, but but like the again, let, let's let's talk a little bit about. I mean, I, I feel like you have a, a a very unique understanding of of Trump and the way he deploys deploys rhetoric. You're, yeah, I've watched wrestling twice. Re- I get it. <laughs> More more than twice. That's a uh, plug for my book. Yes, uh, Brandon is the is the co-author uh, of of a book on Donald Trump called The Donald and how Trump, how Trump turned President. politics into professional wrestling. There you go. Uh, and if if you read this book, which is available on Amazon, you will you will say, how did I miss that? <laughs> how how did I how did I miss this? The way you know he yeah. uses language, the way he like frames his 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 adversaries. Um, but let's talk about this Leslie Stahl absolutely uh, interview uh, that where Leslie Stahl was recounting what the pre- how the president why he demeans people. She asked him a question: Why do you keep on demeaning people? Yeah. Do you have the clip or should I read it? Because uh, I, I read it, read it, read it. Okay, yeah. good. Because this is from a thirty-minute YouTube video that I didn't. I knew you did not want to try to find a Leslie <laughs> Stahl clip. <laughs> didn't bother doing it. It's from Sorry. the Deadline Club of New York. It's from earlier this week, and this is there's three things that happened this week that pretty much. Uh, <laughs> proved everything Chris Kelly and I wrote about. Here's her quote. And he said, you know why I do it? I do it to discredit you all and you and to demean you all so that when you write negative stories about me, no one will believe you. Guess what? He's right. He's fantastic at that. Uh, it worked. His premise worked. Um, and uh, yesterday, I don't know if you guys saw this, The Hill reported um, that the reason why Trump calls uh, the FBI informant a spy is because it sounds more nefarious. Right. Which also goes to the Leslie Stahl. Well, this line. is kind of what we were just saying. Yeah, about the, yeah. what we were saying earlier about the spy thing. Mm-hmm. It's not founded in any truth whatsoever. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, right. it doesn't matter. Uh, the Rock. Uh, finally, number three. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> finally, number three. The most important line of the week from the mouths of babes. I don't know who the hell wrote that line. Okay, so. <laughs> That's yeah, important. This, so this was, uh, to, to give it a little context, this was on Tuesday night. He was at the Susan B. Anthony List uh, gala dinner. This is a, a Republican anti-abortion group. Um, and he was, you know, giving comment. He was, he was making comments about... Um, How it, important it, it is yeah. to get out to vote for the 2018 right. election. It, and, and, well, and he said, it's, 
the line was along the lines of it's more important. You've all voted for me in 2016. It's it's as important for you to vote in 2018. And then and then he pauses and says like, who wrote that? Yeah, line? who wrote that line? I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's like true. Who, who who and and it was just this sort of gasp. I mean, it it it, it was almost like uh, I mean I, I I'm I'm thinking about it because it is it was a very like sort of meta moment for for everybody. It was almost like. Like Donald Trump had decided, like I'm going to do the next Deadpool like sequel. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to I'm going to like go out. and I'm going to say like who the hell wrote that? I mean, it's like he's talking to the camera. Yeah. And it was in the yeah. word you used, gasp, is the same word that keeps coming up in this Leslie Stahls thing, <laughs> because people are shocked. Why is anyone shocked? He's been very upfront. This about has it. been his gimmick since day one. Yeah, he's I, really good at this, and no one's figured it out except Chris Kelly and I, co-authors of the book. That this is called a plug. People, I'm getting yeah, it in. This man's a professional. Donald Trump is a wrestler. Com. We're smarter than all of you. I've never been upset in the last four years because I'm the only one who sees this stuff. I can't imagine being a Donald Trump speechwriter and putting in a line that implies that somebody else is as important as you, right. which is what this was. Right. And yeah. expecting to get away with that. Right. It, it, well, and, and, yet, and they didn't. Are. And they <laughs> didn't. Right. And they right. didn't. <laughs> but I, I love that the tagline for this show is uh, giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. Uh, na- how? Name one person that's <laughs> actually done it. I'm not trying to be a mean person here, but like, there's not one politician, speaker, comic, actor, spokesman anywhere that's been able to actually challenge him and win because everyone's afraid. And I literally do not understand why. Well, and you, you've talked, we've talked like sort of offline about like who are, who are some of the people who you think could be effective in this? And one of the people that you, you mentioned is, is, is Biden. Oh, yeah. Biden is one of the very, very few. But the only issue with Biden is uh, maybe some a little too touchy-feely right. with some people. Hashtag me too. <laughs> well, and he's also, I mean, like this gets to a lot of the, the issues with politics in general, which is that a lot of these people are old. I mean, they should be retired at this point. Absolutely. You know, it's like also a, not just old, but they're bad people. <laughs> and this is that here hear me out. That's a bipartisan statement. It's not just there's there's literally no Mr. Rogers to run. Right. That's that's your golden god. That's the person you want to run against Trump because you could approach it with kindness and actually inspire people. And the only other way to really do that is to go, no, you're a liar. And that's it. But the problem is if you come at me and go, Well, you're a liar, all I have to do is find one thing you've lied about. Mr. Rogers didn't lie. He's the only one. I'm, you'd laugh all you want. No, you're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Laugh all you want. There's a wonderful, I hope wonderful, documentary about to be released uh, in June. Won't mm-hmm. you be my neighbor? There's going to be a think piece in every major newspaper. Right. It's about how we need more Mr. Rogers in 2018 and 2020, and why can't Donald Trump be more like Mr. Rogers? And then Donald Trump will say, hey, everybody in the NBA, take a knee or don't take a knee, and then no one's going to talk about that because whoever wins the NBA finals isn't going to visit the White House. That's what's going to happen. So one thing that that I I wonder about though is that the you know do we have some Mr. Rogers that are just not that have just like tried I mean like some people would say that like Pope Francis yeah for sure who, who has taken on like Trump by but you know with sort of killing with kindness yeah like, he, who he, lost he, who won that feud right Trump won that feud Trump right. beat the Pope in a yeah. feud yeah do you people forget this right. he literally challenged but the who, Catholic who, Church but who's oh you nicer, know who else challenged the Catholic nicer Church nicer than Francis. <laughs> The guy from Wisconsin challenged the Catholic Church, and uh, he also won because he got some guy that said, hey, uh, don't be uh, mean to poor people. And I'm talking about Paul Ryan here, yes. people. Yeah. Paul Ryan. The Speaker was, of the who House was, who, who was, got politically outmaneuvered by a, a, a bishop. So who, and and I, I should note, too, that Paul Ryan is 
at this moment, actually, at the, the yeah, Catholic right. prayer breakfast, yeah. uh, t- talking about how much she <laughs> loves the poor. He swerved you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's there. there isn't one that we know of, and we talked a lot about we we you, Jason Dick and I no but the culture I think it's fair uh-huh. to say uh, jokingly wrote fluff pieces about The Rock mm-hmm. I mean he was on the cover of National Review I don't know if you guys know this that's a right leaning publication and the cover of it was we need more of The Rock but there was a caveat well we don't want The Rock in politics it's like why you ran a B list actor you you ran Ronald Reagan and a guy that wish he was the commissioner of baseball George W Bush and the guy that was on The Apprentice, and the only reason why The Apprentice is existing more is because he got bad ratings. He's a liar. So The the Rock is actually has a successful TV show with ballers, made way more money as a movie star than uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, and is the actually the most successful actor now. Right? In 2017. In, 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 in terms of money, yeah, yeah. I mean, and most importantly, he's people's sexiest man. He's a man <laughs> that is actually attractive, that is actually a beacon of what you should want to be as a human being, really no scandals. And uh, probably most likely a libertarian because he was a wrestler, and most guys from that world don't want any regulation because it's an insane, sure. <laughs> insane career path. That is actually the person you want. And I know that sounds very silly, but we live in a very silly time. Mm-hmm. But there's no one that actually is qualified to have this job that has the cl- the qualifications of the Rock. It's not any sillier than what we're living through. No, <laughs> I, 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 I mean that honestly. Yeah. Like he was a professional wrestler. We already we do. do I wrote a book about it. about it. It's called D- <laughs> The Donald. Another plug. <laughs> really quick, here's a little fun caveat here about uh, Trump and wrestling and all that good stuff. Uh, two things. Number one, do you know where the most recent WrestleMania was at? New Orleans. There you go. Superdome. Uh, number two, do you know what every uh, major wrestling event starts with whenever there's a big pay-per-view oh, or WrestleMania? Wow. Do you yeah. know what it starts with? Is it the national anthem? It's not the national anthem. It's God Bless America. Do you know Why? Why? Vince McMahon thinks that's the most patriotic song, not the national anthem. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. That's great. Well, yeah. I mean, like, Star Spangled Banner is a war. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a war ballad. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's about a battle, like, you know, in Baltimore. Bill gets in trouble every <laughs> couple of years because he'll he'll come on and he'll say, the Star Spangled Banner sucks. Like, as a song, it sucks. It's hard to sing. Yeah, doesn't it consistently go up in key? Like, it's, it's yeah. difficult for singers. It's if they a- start too high, it's really hard to come... It's a really, really well, we, hard song to sing. We, we were talking about Roseanne a little earlier in the in the program, and remember, she made a few headlines oh, back yeah. in the '90s when she sang uh, the national anthem. <laughs> and, and honestly, I don't. I mean, looking back on the clip, like it's obvious that there's a performance angle going on, and I don't know if it's any worse than some of the people who sing who sing it at baseball games now. Totally. I mean, it's just that's completely accurate. Um, real quickly, Fox, yes, Fox and the WWE. Yeah, it's a one. It's, it's apparently done. It's a one billion dollar deal for five years of SmackDown Live. Um, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, SmackDown isn't named after uh, the Rocks. One of the Rocks' catchphrases. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, it premiered in the late '90s, and it was a sp- essentially a spinoff of Raw. Raw is the longest running weekly episodic television show in history. They just celebrated their 25th year. SmackDown has been moved around a lot. It originally started on UPN, which is a network that no longer exists. It's currently on the USA Network. You might know the USA Network as the network that airs Suits. 
Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. There was a wedding over the weekend <laughs> featuring a co-star of the show Suits. I only know about Suits because of wrestling, by the way. So this <laughs> wedding was very exciting to me. Um, and uh, yeah, it, because Fox uh, needs to get back into the live entertainment thing because it's one of the few things people will watch live. Yes, the majority of people watch it uh, via DVR or via Hulu, but this is really the only way to get the eyes on uh, on their screen. So it's a $1 billion deal, mm-hmm. and my uh, WWE stock has gone up, baby! Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I'm smarter than all of you. I invested in WWE. Fake sports are better than real sports. Ovechkin likes Putin. If you like the NFL, you're racist. Basketball is the future. There you have it. <laughs> is, is anything else need to be said? Oh, you know who should run for president, <laughs> in all honesty, is LeBron, but he won't and he shouldn't because, you know, racism. But yeah. LeBron would be the the best person to run. Wins wins one more title and then maybe goes into politics. Who knows? Yeah, he'll, st- he'll still lose in Ohio. It ain't going to happen this year. Yeah, Brandon, thank you so much. Thank you for coming in. And I, I, again, I, I, I love, I love the way that we can kind of reframe politics because it, it makes a little bit more sense when I'm talking about it with you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for uh, uh, joining us. You can also follow Brandon on his Twitter account at. Y-M-T-E, and you can catch me on Brandon's show on BYT Live uh, at the Line Hotel Mm -hmm. a little bit later on today this afternoon. Same topics. (laughs) Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. I'm the managing editor for Leadership and Enterprise at Roll Call, and I'm subbing for Bill Press, who is at the Lapland Finland Book Festival, hawking uh, from the left. Actually, that may not be true, uh, but I like to sprinkle these little things in. As uh, you may know, uh, if you've heard me sub in for for Bill, just a little bit of good-natured tall tales. I'm joined uh, in studio with Simone Pathé. She is our senior political reporter at Roll Call. Simone, welcome to the Bill Press Show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, they, so we we just seem to have one sort of big Tuesday primary uh, of uh, every week. Uh, we, we've talked a little bit about it uh, on on Roll Call's podcast, Political Theater, mm-hmm. which you have been very uh, helpful in sort of explaining things to our listeners there. Uh, that that I, see, see what I did there with Brandon? <laughs> Brandon has inspired me to plug mercilessly. Very nice. Stuff. Yeah, you're doing a great <laughs> That's job. That's politicaltheater at rollcall.com. There's a newsletter. You should subscribe to it. <laughs> and you should rate us on iTunes. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You should also subscribe to Simone's newsletter that she does with Bridget Bowman on Roll Call. Uh, it is called. It is coming out later today. It's called At the Races, and it's lovely, it's wonderful reading for all political junkies. Uh, so let's get into some of these primaries. We had, um, we had, we had Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. We had several uh, primaries in Texas. Uh, there, there were four. There was Texas, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia. Let's focus on Texas first. Because this is where Democrats think that they can make some headway in their quest to retake the House majority. Yeah. And and that's true of actually all of these states. You know, these are states that on the surface you think Georgia, Kentucky, like these are red states. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there are House districts that Clinton did better than average in that they think they can retake. Um, Texas in particular, the 7th district has gotten a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a seat held by John Culberson. Republican who a lot of folks here in Washington were worried about. Um, you know, his fundraising has picked up, but he was someone who 
they feared was a little bit asleep at the switch and could have mm -hmm. been one of those folks who's been around for a long time, not used to a competitive race, could go down in a district that Clinton won. There, there seem to be there's there one or two of these every every, every year. year. Last like, year was John Micah. Yeah, and John Micah was in 2016. Yeah. Uh, James Oberstar back mm. in 2010. I mean, somebody mm -hmm. who had been in Congress for years. And, and it just sort of sneaks up on them because, you know, they don't have, like, campaign managers <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and basic, things like that. But <laughs> uh, okay, so Culberson. So he, Culberson, yeah. you know, they... Uh, had a lot of Democrats trying mm -hmm. to run to uh, take him on in November. Texas, of course, has this runoff system. So we had this crazy big primary in March. Mm -hmm. The top two finishers advanced to the runoff this week. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of national attention because the DCCC took the really unprecedented step of getting super involved here and torpedoing right. the candidacy of Laura Moser. Mm -hmm. um, Laura Moser, to remind folks, was a D.C.-based activist and journalist. She moved back to Texas essentially to run for office, mm -hmm. which is... Now she's from Texas. She's right? from Texas. You know, it would be like me moving back to Arizona to run for office. Fair. You know, even though I've been here for 20 <laughs> years. You know? The problem yeah. was she had said some not-so-great things about Texas, right. not the area where she was running to represent, but her grandparents' town. Mm -hmm. um, other sort of weird side commentary she had made about African-American churches, things that just did not look great in right. the general election. And so the DCCC um, put out this opposition research right. and effectively backed her opponent. And and what's extraordinary about this is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. I mean, they're they are primarily there. I mean, to help incumbents. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, you yes. know, their their dues are paid by incumbent sure. members of the House by mm -hmm. the Democratic uh, Caucus. The the Republicans have their own uh, campaign operation, the NRCC, and it is it is not uh, usually what you see of uh, to have an incumbent protection program mm. uh, get involved in one of these primaries, pick sides. I mean, it it happens, but like to actually put out opposition research is yeah. like whoa. Right. It happens more than. We all know, but mm -hmm. it mostly happens behind the scenes, uh -huh. you know, in terms of who they're funneling consultants to and helping do the big dollar fundraising. You know, mm -hmm. that's pretty par for the course. But to actually put this on the Internet <laughs> right. is different. Yeah. So, so is Laura Moser and uh, forgive me, the Lizzie the, Pinnell Fletcher. Lizzie, yes. Um, she's a lawyer. She was attacked for being maybe too corporate, mm -hmm. uh, anti-labor, but she also had the backing of Emily's List. Mm -hmm. Um, which the, has been quite a force in right. a lot of primaries. This is, this is the organization that helps elect uh, Democratic yes, pro-abortion uh, rights, rights mm -hmm. women to, to office. right? So the interesting thing about this primary and what we were watching to see is it was kind of a test case for national party intervention. And mm -hmm. so right after the DTRIP got involved, we saw popularity, a grassroots popularity in fundraising for Laura Moser actually spiked because mm -hmm. <laughs> suddenly she had this anti-establishment credibility. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There wasn't that much substantially... Um, policy-wise different between these two women. I mean, neither of them had like totally radical differences, but it was more of a stylistic thing. She mm -hmm. was able to say, well, DC doesn't like me. Like, you know, that's obviously a kind of a popular narrative to be right. running on these days. Especially um, in Texas. <laughs> especially in Texas. So she got a bounce from that. Mm -hmm. um, but what we saw after the initial primary, when they both finished first and second, Lizzie finished first, Moser finished second, um, was that the D-trip kind of went quiet. And mm -hmm. if you talk to folks in Texas, um, reading great reporting from Roll Call alum Abby Livingston, like this race was actually kind of quiet mm -hmm. and boring between March and this week, mm -hmm. um, which a lot of folks are giving the D-trip credit for that they kind of backed off. They just let it play out. They realized that there was some backfire potential for going against Moser and 
sure enough, she did pretty badly yeah. this week. She was trounced by uh, Fletcher. Uh, you, you mentioned Abby's reporting. Uh, she's at the Texas Tribune mm-hmm. now, uh, and, and also a Fort Worth uh, native of like a fifth generation or something <laughs> like that. So, I mean, like, if, if you are not following... Uh, Abby on on these sort of Texas races. You uh, should, it, you should yeah. first follow what Simone and Bridget are doing at roll <laughs> well, call. We and, learned from Abby, and so. then also <laughs> go, go to uh, uh, you know um, follow Abby uh, at, at at the Trib. Uh, okay, so that's seventh. We're yeah. looking at a fairly competitive race. Uh, yeah. Col- Culberson's probably going to need to break a sweat, which shouldn't be a problem in the summer in Houston. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a I think, right. Molly Ivins, I think, once described it as uh, Calcutta without the charm. Uh, Houston. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrific. <laughs> also a Fort Worth person, you know, like, uh, 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 the uh, dearly departed uh, Mo- Molly Ivins, uh, unique person. So. Uh, so let's let's jump let's jump around Texas. It's a big enough place. Yeah. Uh, I mean the the and I, I we should know too that the 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 race that will probably attract more attention than a lot of the House races was decided back in March, and that's the mm-hmm. Senate race between Ted Cruz, the Republican incumbent, and Beto O'Rourke, who's mm-hmm. a Repu- uh, Democratic congressman from El Paso, a uh, former punk rocker with the band Foss. Uh, if you uh, watched uh, public access television in El Paso in the 1980s. Uh, <laughs> And uh, former city councilman, uh, and he's a three-term congressman, and he is taking on um, Ted Cruz. It looks like it has the potential to develop into a competitive race, especially because O'Rourke keeps raising just boatloads of cash. Uh, And also seems to be a pretty sharp uh, Mm -hmm. user of... uh, Social media mm-hmm. and and gets gets in. It also doesn't hurt that he looks like a Kennedy uh, and has a, okay. a <laughs> so and, and has this, an Hispanic uh, a nickname with uh, Beto. So uh, so that's a big race. But uh, one of O'Rourke's pals in Congress, Will Hurd, yeah. is in the twenty third district. It's a San Antonio based district, but it's also like it's. I think it's bigger than Russia. Uh, it's, it's a huge district. It, it hugs the border with mm-hmm. Mexico. Goes all the way up to the San, San Antonio and its suburbs. Uh, Will Hurd is a relatively moderate Republican. He's one of the people signing the discharge petition mm-hmm. to force a vote on a moderate immigration uh, legislation that he is sponsoring with Pete Aguilar, uh, a Democrat in California. Uh, Will Hurd has a, an opponent now and a potentially tough race, too. He does. Uh, her name is Gina Ortiz Jones. Mm-hmm. She is an Air Force veteran. She would be the first openly gay woman from Texas to serve if she's elected. Mm-hmm. Um, also had the backing of Emily's List. Um, another story of a woman doing really well in a primary. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a district that is a perennial Democratic target. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clinton won the district in 2016. Heard was able to hold on despite that. You know, he's got a pretty strong brand in the area. He's a former CIA operative. Um, what's interesting about Jones is her military background, a lot of Democrats think, might be able to kind of mitigate the national security advantage that Heard has brought to the table previously. Mm-hmm. Um, last cycle, he was running against the former congressman, his predecessor, who didn't maybe bring as much uh, stylistically yeah. <laughs> to the trail. Right. I mean, one, one thing that has struck me about Heard also is that, I mean, he is... He's a good politician. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is when when you when you talk to him, when you see him like interact with other people, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, uh, when he is on television. I mean, he is a he's a telegenic person. Sure. Uh, he's he's young. Uh, I mean, he's got this background of like he was he was a businessman as well as a CIA operative. I mean, mm-hmm. he speaks like. Arabic. I mean, I mean it, it, it's he's he's a if you're thinking of, of like sort of dream, you know, political candidates and also like like John Tester up in Montana, he has never cracked 50 percent, mm. I don't think, in, in his district. Mm-hmm. So uh, so he has a potentially tough race. And, and it's it's interesting that the 
it's people like that. You know, it, it's, it's sort of ironic that they're targeted because, like, regardless of like political affiliations, like he's right. just a good member of Congress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and but but this is he the road to the majority for the Democrats runs through his district uh, potentially because if they can't knock him off, uh, it's hard to see them knocking Culberson off or somebody else in a in a more Republican. Sure. Part of uh, of not just Texas, but almost anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. so what else are you watching in Texas? So. Um, the Senate race that you mentioned, mm-hmm. definitely looking more to see, you know, how much that inspires turnout in some mm-hmm. of these congressional races where Democrats might be more enthused to turn mm-hmm. out. Um, a couple things to note just from primary recap also in Texas, that there were a lot of safe Republican seats that also had runoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, the Club for Growth was heavily involved in a lot of them. It's sort the of, free enterprise uh, right. group that Pat Toomey, a Republican yes. senator from Pennsylvania, yeah. used to run. Uh, yeah. And as we often see in primaries, they are often um, litigating sort of Republican internecine faction right. <laughs> war, whatever you want right. to call it, between the sort of mainstream wing of the party right. and the more conservative free enterprise folks. They right. invested, I think, like one and a half million dollars across the board in these races. Mm-hmm. It came out about even. I think mm-hmm. they won about half of them. More establishment folks came out right. than the other ones. Um, the candidate that Mike Pence actually endorsed, Bunny Pounds, this is kind of a that's big so, deal. That's such a great name. It, I mean, like, I mean, like that, that's like a, that. that's like Molly <laughs> Ivins would have like or, or, uh, Abby, if you're listening to us, Abby, please write about this Bunny Pounds. Bunny Pounds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow. No, the point was that Pence went out on a limb and uh-huh. kind of like strayed from, you know, White House political shop and mm-hmm. endorsed this woman and she lost. So make of that what you will. But. Oh, and, where, and where is this district? The, 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 the... Um, my text geography is not going to serve me well. Where is that district? It's the fifth district. Okay. Okay. Don't so, ask me where. It so is. this is and and uh, some some familiar faces in Congress are, are moving on. Joe, yeah. B- Joe Barton. Yeah. A lot. From, uh, who, yeah. who has been uh, in in Congress since mm-hmm. the eighties uh, and, and the manager of the baseball team. You know, mm-hmm. was was sort of, you know, like instrumental, I believe. You know, in in helping keep that team together, mm-hmm. the, the the morale after together year, at, yeah. after last year's shooting mm-hmm. uh, at at the at baseball practice. He's he's retiring. He had a little uh, um, sexting thing like we. It's all seen more of Joe Barton than we ever needed to. Um, in, in, and, and it wasn't, it was, again, it was a consenting adults thing, but it was right. still just like, maybe it's time to hang it's up the spurs. He didn't uh, break yeah. any laws, but no. he is guilty of taking the most unflattering <laughs> D-pick in right. the history yeah. of it was, sexting. It was bad. It was, uh, I mean, and I just, you know, uh, anyway, better left unsaid. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but better, better, better to move on. <laughs> Uh, in, in this case, uh, so let's move on to yes. Kentucky. Uh, yeah. We're we're looking at one race in particular mm-hmm. in Kentucky. It's a Louisville based. Uh, I, I hope Neil's heard that because I said it right. Louisville, <laughs> uh, Louisville based uh, congressional seat, and it was a, a Democratic primary to take on Andy Barr. Uh, yes. What was the result there? Yeah. So Amy McGrath is mm-hmm. the former uh, Marine fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. She did really well on Tuesday night. She defeated Lexington Mayor Jim Gray. Mm-hmm. Gray was the 2016 Senate nominee against Rand Paul. He mm-hmm. would have been the first openly gay man to serve in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, as one of our former colleagues wrote, that didn't really get a lot of attention right. last cycle, which is kind of interesting yeah. in Kentucky. And it didn't yeah. really get that much attention this cycle, except for the fact that um, McGrath's whole argument was that Gray was the establishment. Mm-hmm. And so you had a lot of folks saying, wow, if, if he's the establishment, right. like we've come pretty far. Right, right. I mean, it, it is. I mean, like when when establishment is a dirty word like, and, <laughs> and, and in, in Kentucky or, or in, in anywhere in the South, really, like yeah. you think what what would have been the implications of like 10, 15 years ago, you know, like of, yeah. if, if you were a gay candidate. Yeah. I remember 
when I think this was in, I can't remember if this was 2004 or 2006. My memory is uh, failing me a little bit. But when Jim Bunning, uh, the mm-hmm. former, uh, the, the late uh, mm-hmm. Republican senator from Kentucky was running for re-election, he was running against a guy, uh, Dan Mangiardo, mm-hmm. uh, and he was a doctor, and there were these whispers that he was gay. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and it was like a very close race. Uh, Bunning didn't run a very good campaign. Uh, Mangiardo was like fairly popular. Uh, but it was this it was this like inflection point in the race when the these rumors that he was that he was gay mm-hmm. like came out and it was and and I just remember it was like it, it was weird it it could have been you know a deciding factor and now it's like not an issue in his 2016 race not an issue in the 2018 race in the Democratic primary you know like the the yeah. the new bad the new bad thing to be is establishment right right <laughs> yeah oh please don't let my children grow up to be establishment <laughs> Democrats. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> How dare you try to recruit my children to be establishment politicians? <laughs> Not on my watch. So McGrath also had these amazing ads too, she right? Did. I mean, like, yeah. like right out of the gate when she when she declared, she was part mm-hmm. of this first wave of people saying, like, "I'll run." You know, yeah. um, I mean, she she had this like sort of. I mean, she was in her fighter pilot. You know, jumpsuit and Mm -hmm. and and it's just like one of those ads that sort of, um, you know, sort of made its way through into pop culture. So she's the nominee now against Barr. She's the nominee. Mm -hmm. And the anti-establishment thing was real here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's worth noting she got into the race last August, I think, with this video produced by Mark Putnam, who Mm -hmm. listeners may know is kind of a a veteran Democratic ad maker. He Mm -hmm. made the Jason Kander ad where he blindfoldedly assembled. the, the rifle, you know, that kind of went viral mm-hmm. last cycle, too. Um, so that helped her raise a lot of money, get on national TV. You know, she became kind of this superstar, but still wasn't really running a great campaign. Mm-hmm. I mean, she did outraise Barr the first quarter she was in the race, more than double what he raised. But after that, it was kind of like, okay, what are you going to do with this? Right. So the DCCC actually recruited Jim Gray, the Lexington mayor, into the race. He got in in December, four months after she'd already been slaving away on the trail, mm-hmm. um, leaving her campaign pretty pissed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here we had a woman, a veteran, everything that the National Democratic Party said they wanted this year, and they were recruiting. And again, this the DCCC like, inserts itself right. uh, and steps on its own tail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again. I mean, Worth noting, slightly different situation from Texas mm-hmm. in that they did not publicly show their hand. They didn't add Jim Gray to red to blue, which is their list of like so-called endorsed or mm-hmm. strong recruit candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were open to the race evolving. Mm-hmm. This spring, um, McGrath closed a huge gap just in her own internal polling. She was way behind in December. By April, she was up mm-hmm. by like five or six points. Her campaign took that to the D-trip, and they were like, oh, Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well then. <laughs> Show us the polling. Right, right. And her campaign has said as much that um not having the D-Trips backing actually allowed them to do more and mm-hmm. to be more experimental with a really early field game. They tried to model sort of the Obama grassroots effort really early Knock on. Knock on every door twice. Exactly. Kind of yeah. um, and, you know, her campaign manager has told me we wouldn't have been able to do that had the D-Trip been on our backs. Right. You know. And, and Louisville is not a, I mean, it's not a super conservative place. I mm. mean, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a big liberal city. You know, not, it's not a New York, you know, or L.A., you know, kind of kind of thing. But but this is a, you know, this is a place that it's it's got a, a an African-American population, uh, if if they can motivate, you know, African-Americans and suburbanites who mm-hmm. may be potentially, you know, turned off by 
by Trump or may not even know who Andy Barr is, but they know that he's establishment. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> it's got an E after the name, right? Yeah. Um, then, then this could be a problem for Barr. Right? Yeah, and I think McGrath is attuned to that. I mean, one thing that didn't get a lot of coverage is despite the fact that she was running as a pro-abortion rights Democrat, she did not seek the endorsement of Emily's list. Interesting. Like, that's pretty big deal yeah. <laughs> this year. I, I wonder if is is the is the, the the DCCC. I mean, that we you know we kind of keep coming back to them. Is is maybe one of the reasons that they they are inserting themselves into these races that they there really aren't that many vulnerable Democrats at mm. this point. I mean, like we you know our That's our, fair. Our, yeah. our colleague Nathan Gonzalez, you know his his house ratings show mm-hmm. that like you know races keep moving towards Democrats, right. and there are like two or three, I think, vulnerable Democrats that he have, and there are 60 competitive Republican races. I mean, it's a big field. I mean, they just, I mean, we we know these people, you know, know, they they want something to do. They don't want to just, you know, play (laughs) paper football in the office, right? Right. Right. And in Republicans' defense, I guess I'd say some of those Democrats have retired. So it's Mm -hmm. not as if, like, the race just moved off the map for Republicans. Like, it's now an open seat. Right. Uh, so, again, another competitive race in a place that you wouldn't necessarily think. Although, yeah. I guess Ben Chandler uh, was a Democrat. He he represented yeah. this seat yeah. uh, like in, in, in recent memory. Yes, uh, so and Gray it, it, actually right. won this district in 2016. Despite okay. losing the state okay. to, to Rand Paul, he carried the district by okay. about four points. Okay. So. Uh, Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. <laughs> Georgia. Uh, interesting. Another state that has a lot of runoffs. Uh-huh. I mean, they have a runoff system, so we're not going to have... Uh, final like kind of uh, you know results for some of the couple of the races yeah, that were, were were going on. Um, but l- before we get to that, uh, the the one of the big sort of takeaways from that was that the um, we have a new gubernatorial race that mm-hmm. was. I mean, it, it still may be like favoring the Republicans, but it made made a few waves. Let's talk about that race. Yeah. So this was an interesting primary on the Democratic side between mm-hmm. the two Stacys. Both uh, state legislatures, Stacey Abrams, who won decisively, Mm -hmm. um, is actually the first African-American woman major party nominee for governor. Think about it. Like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Regardless of which party you're from, just thinking about that statement is pretty wild. She destroyed. Right. It was like 75. She won like 70 percent or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was not not close. Not close at all. Um, And a lot of Democrats are looking to this primary because of the way in which the two Stacey's strategically ran very different campaigns. Mm-hmm. Abrams is all about trying to energize um, somewhat of the base, but also trying to reach out to uh, young people, mm-hmm. to minorities, people who don't necessarily vote, trying to run up the score in those areas. Worth noting that she did do actually pretty well in more white Appalachian conservative areas, too. She didn't just um, get that 70 percent mm-hmm. from African-American communities. Okay. Um, Stacey Evans had a lot more... Um, traditional Southern Democrat campaign, I guess mm-hmm. you would say, and that she was... Michelle Nunn. Uh, right. The, the right. Michelle Nunn campaign. Yes, you know, trying yeah. to win over um, white, middle-class, conservative mm-hmm. voters who might have been Democrat but could see themselves going, or excuse me, Republican could see themselves going Democratic. The people that John Ossoff was courting. Exactly. Uh, yes. This all okay. sounds very familiar, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't it? it? <laughs> so, so Abrams is the, I mean, she she's the nominee. Like, there's still, I think, the, the figure I saw was about 50,000 fewer Democrats voted yeah. in primaries than, than Republicans. So she, she may have a, a, a lot of ground to make up if yeah. she wants to make it a competitive race. But... If she does uh, spur turnout, as you, as mm-hmm. you stated, in, in the right kind of House districts, this could affect a couple of races. So let's talk about yeah. 
Let's talk about that the the uh, the Ossoff district, <laughs> the the most famous person not to not to win. <laughs> it seems at, the, at this yeah. point, um, this is the district that is represented in suburban Atlanta by Karen Hendel. Uh-huh. Uh, John Ossoff uh, faced off against her uh, last year. They spent um, I don't know it's like the federal deficit, uh, you know, like of of, of yeah. cash on this. It was the most expensive house race in history, mm-hmm. uh, forty nine million dollars, I think, something. something like that. A lot of rich television stations now. Uh, in, in in suburban Atlanta, um, and and he's not running this year. No, he's not. So uh, so, so let's start there. And there is a runoff. So let's talk about these runoff. two candidates. So there were sort of three viable Democrats. The one who a lot of folks thought was going to come out on top mm-hmm. came in third. So he's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was backed by Steny Hoyer and a lot of um, former elected officials from Georgia. Just mm-hmm. goes to show you can never really predict these things. And, and Hoyer is important too because he's very friendly with the Blue Dogs, yes. the moderate to conservative Democrats. He's yeah. the House Minority Whip. He's he's been around for a long time. Is sort of very much a you know a, a popular guy in the Democratic caucus, particularly with moderates. Right. His candidate didn't win. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So uh, who came out on top was Lucy McBath. Again, mm-hmm. another woman and a minority doing mm-hmm. well this year. Um, she is an activist for gun control, mm-hmm. um, national spokeswoman for every town for gun safety. Okay. Um, she took a leave of absence mm-hmm. to, to run the campaign, but every town was actually her biggest supporter. They ran a lot of independent expenditures and really carried her over the finish line here. Mm-hmm. She got in the race a little bit later than the other men, and so her fundraising was severely lagging, mm-hmm. um, and they really helped make up the gap for her. Um, in second place is an immigrant businessman um, who has really tried to take on Trump directly in his video messaging. Um, heard a little bit less about him just because he doesn't have as much of a national profile. Mm-hmm. McBath spoke at the DNC. Um, her son was killed in, in Florida at a gas station in 2012, so she has a very personal, compelling story. Mm-hmm. And then the Democrats feel so they they feel like this is a worth their time investing. They you know, do. Right? It's obviously not going to get the attention right. that it did during the special election, but right. as an affluent suburban, well-educated area that mm-hmm. Trump won by less than two points, they can't afford to write that off. Right. And then there's one more district that they're looking at, and this is the one that's that's represented by Rob Woodall. Yes, the uh, seventh district. Right, the seventh district. Um, and this is one that Trump won a little bit more comfortably by about six points. Mm-hmm. But there's some thinking that Woodall might be. Um, less of a well-equipped incumbent, so mm-hmm. to speak. He has less money, hasn't faced a competitive race before. Mm-hmm. Um, both of the Democrats running in the runoff are fairly untested. One of them has the backing of Emily's list. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much more national uh, support they get, mm-hmm. whether this race really takes off or not. And then one last, uh, we've got just a short uh, 50 seconds or so uh, <laughs> here. Uh, the Arkansas, there's yeah. one potentially competitive race. Uh-huh. It's the Little Rock-based... Yes. Uh, district that that French Hill, French Hill uh, represents. which is again another great name, Bunny Pound and French Hill. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> we've got our we've got our names. Uh, who who is the uh, who is going to make up this race? State Rep. Clark Tucker won okay. the primary outright. Uh-huh. Um, he has talked a lot about health care, expanding Medicaid. He mm-hmm. was diagnosed with cancer last summer and has survived. Um, so that is definitely part of his messaging. It was a district that Democrats held until 2010, I think. So oh, not yeah. impossible. Right. It sounds pretty scary for Democrats, deep red Arkansas, but they're actually targeting districts that are a lot more conservative, a lot more Trump-y than this one. And something tells me you'll have more to say with this if you're at the Races newsletter today. Simone, thank you so much for joining (laughs) us on Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show.